a few years ago, many of you know Mary and I were house parents. Uh, we served as house parents in the Dominican Republic for uh, just a little bit under three years, and then we also um, did some work with troubled teens in the Northwoods in Canada, and then also we were house parents in northern Indiana. And at one of those points uh, in in Indiana, we were house parents, and we actually had to share because in the Dominican, they could work us 80 hours a week. There were no labor laws. Uh, but then when we came stateside, that was limited by uh, labor laws, and so we had to share house responsibilities with another set of house parents. And during this time, we realized that the house we were in, we had, I think it was 11 or 12 boys at that time, we needed some more storage space and a place to keep gas containers for mowing and work projects and stuff. So we decided we were going to build a... Uh, a utility barn, a 12 by 16 utility barn. Well, somehow, at the beginning of this project, the building got out of square. And so we have a saying in the Besosa house now that grew out of times like this, and that is, it takes more work to be lazy than what, boys? Than to do it right the first time. Take, takes more work to be lazy than to do it right the first time. But as a staff team, you know, nearly 20 years ago, we hadn't developed that principle yet, and we figured it would be easier to fix the out of square as the building went up. A bad plan. In life, we often try to make adjustments to minimize the hard work that is always necessary on the front end of a project. It always is. We want to get to the fun part or the easy part, right? We want to see progress. We want to see the roof go on or the windows go in, the paint go on, or we want to get the stuff in the building. The problem is it's truly more work to cut corners to, than to do it right the first time, to do the necessary work on the front end so you can enjoy your investment on the back end. So the completion of this yard barn actually took way more time to fix it out of square as it went up than it would have been if we would have just torn the subfloor off, squared everything up, and started over, and then went up. It would have taken way less time. But it took longer because we violated some basic building principles. You get the base wrong, you get nothing else right. The foundation is askew. The whole building is askew. I mean, we had ratchet straps on this thing trying to get the corners squared up to get the roof on, and at the end we were still cutting shingles crooked all the way to the ridge cap. You get the base wrong, you get nothing else right. The foundation is out of square. Everything from that point forward is out of square. The last couple of weeks, as we've said, we've been addressing the first of our two core values that we hold together as a church. And our first core value is the supremacy of Christ Jesus. And we were in the book of Colossians and unpacked that. And then last week, we spent some time thinking about the second of our core values, and that is the authority of God's Word. Christ, as the living Word, is supreme. And then... His word is authoritative on our lives. So we hold these first of our core values 
by design. One of our times I talked about going through Bloomington and there was some banners out in front of churches that would state their core values. And I asked us, are those the right ones? How do we know we have the right ones? Here's how we know we have the right ones. Because these are our first two and everything squares up with this. The supremacy of Christ and the authority of his word. They're incredibly important. They are indeed the base or the foundation of our church. We organize everything we do around our core values. And here's why. Because if you get the supremacy of Jesus Christ wrong, if you get the authority of God's word wrong, you get nothing else right. Hear me, church. If we get the foundation of who Jesus is wrong or the authority of the Bible wrong, it doesn't matter what our values are that follows. They will always be askew. And it's essential that we ground ourselves in these core values. And so too often churches settle on an either-or choices. Typically, you'll find churches that are really committed to experiencing a relationship with Jesus. And they might say something like, it's really not important what you believe as long as you love Jesus. Or the other side of that coin is they are deeply committed to understanding the word and they treat their congregations more like a university setting. And the goal is just to add more information. Success to them relates to how much you know intellectually about the Bible. Together at Vine and Branch, it is our aim to combine a deep love and understanding of the Word that results in a deep love and obedience to Jesus. The Word is really important to us but it should result in a greater love for Jesus Christ and also for his people. Paul reminds Timothy, a matter of fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 1.5, and he says the goal of our instruction, Timothy, is love. He's given Timothy all kinds of things of how to run his church and how to invest in the people in his church. And he's given him all kinds of rules about false doctrines and teachers that aren't lining up with God's word. There is all kinds of teaching packed into First and Second Timothy. And yet Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, don't forget something. Don't neglect this. The goal of our instruction has an end. It's not instruction for instruction's sake. It's love. And I don't care how much you know unless you're applying it, Timothy, to your life. So our aim here on Sundays, our growth groups, what we do in our men's study, our singing, teaching, everything we do is for us to grow in our ability to exalt Christ Jesus as supreme through what we see in His Word. That's our goal. Is that to say that we do that perfectly? Well, not here. But it is our compass. And when we get off, it helps us to get back on. Those are our values, and we are regularly calling ourselves 
back to them. And so the success of our church is directly related to this question. Are we making disciples or followers of Jesus Christ? That's the question. We're regularly, as a leadership team, asking ourselves this and praying over it. Lord, we don't need to do what other people do, nor do we need to do everything for doing it differently sake. We just really want to know, are we making disciples of Jesus? It's our measuring stick. And the Bible is very clear that this making disciples through followers, through the Word, is not something that we can accomplish alone. The Bible's clear about this. Community is a crucial aspect of being like Jesus. In other words, in order to be like Jesus, we must be humble, giving ourselves up for the good of others. Yeah? You you can't do that without community. It's not just, hey, this is a really good thing for us, and if we happen to be there, great, and if we don't, it's okay. No, you, you can't be like Christ without loving a community of people. It's an attribute that's built into Christ-likeness, and it is, I, I love other people. That's what Jesus does. That's why we're here. True? I think it's super tempting, church, for us to think, get it, Supremacy of Christ, authority of His Word, those are awesome. Redemptive community, I'll be there when I can. That's not the way it is. These three things go together. You get the supremacy of Christ, the authority of His Word, and community. They come together. It's why we group them as our primary core values. And again, in order for us to be like Jesus, we must be humble and giving ourselves up for the good of others. What does that mean? We're giving ourselves up for others to be in right relationship with God. Is that not what Christ did for us? Loving, sharing, giving, and receiving for God's glory. Or we also say God's glory around here, we say it this way, to put His attributes on display. The supremacy of Christ, the authority of His Word, and the way we love each other. Why? Because we want to tell the world God is really good and put His attributes on display. And we do that, church, not just by what we know, but how we live. Redemptive community. So this is our third value. Redemptive community community. Spiritual growth and life change are not a solo sport. Conforming to the image of Christ requires sacrificial investment in others. Following and becoming like Jesus is a community project. It's something that we do, must be done together. And as we consider our core values as a church, let me say it again. If you get the supremacy of Christ wrong, and you get the authority of the Bible wrong, then you will not get, we have no hope for redemptive community. You get Christ wrong and His Word wrong, 
there's no hope for a redemptive community. However, if we keep our focus and our energy and when we get off base, we realign ourselves with our core values and we get the supremacy of Christ right and we're striving for him and the authority of the word, then redemptive community is not only possible, it is the natural overflow of those things. And so in the first part of his letter to the church in Ephesus, Paul is laying out this unifying power of the gospel. So in chapter 2, he says this, verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and who has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He's talking about this huge cataclysmic difference between Jews and Gentiles, and he is saying Christ, whose work was to to unify these two unlikely people, these two diverse people groups. And this is what Paul is doing through the first part of Ephesians. He's unifying this reality that the good news of Jesus brings together unlikely partners. First, these two unlikely partners, you and God, and now the other unlikely partners the gospel unifies is you Jews and you Gentiles or vine and branch you and other people that are completely different or unlike you. The gospel unifies us, first God and man, and second Jews and Gentiles or people from diverse backgrounds. And so in chapter 2, verses 1, he says, you were once dead in the trespasses and sins in which you walked, And then verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, and then look at verse 6, he raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You see, the gospel brings us together in redemptive community with God. And then in Ephesians chapter 2, following that, verses 13 through 22, part of what I just read, verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 14, he himself is our peace who has been made, who has made us both one. Verse 15, that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. Verse 18, for through him we both have access into one spirit to the Father. Verse 19, so we are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Verse 20, where Christ Jesus is the cornerstone. And then verse 22, and in him we are built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The gospel brings together in redemptive community us with each other. And so what Paul is doing here in these verses, he's using this language, and I'm going to put it in our vernacular, but he's grounding or anchoring the Ephesians' redemptive community in the supremacy of Jesus Christ. That's what he's doing. He's saying you guys are in this community because Christ is supreme. 
And you can't pull the two apart. So in chapter 3, verses 14, this idea of bringing or, or Paul grounding redemptive community in the supremacy of Christ is the ends to which Paul prays. So he tells them, you are reconciled to God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're reconciled to one another through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That you, your redemptive community, you guys being built up together, is rooted in the supremacy of Christ. And then in chapter 3, verse 14, he breaks in the prayer and he essentially says, I'm going to pray these things for you. It's verse 16 that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your... By the way, that word is plural. Your, not just you, Bob, but all of you. So that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith, so that the Lord may receive... Verse 21... To Him be glory in the church and Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. That's the prayer Paul prays. Why do I want you to be built up and growing together? Because it brings glory to Christ Jesus. Because you're so unlikely to be together. It's so unlikely for you to go against your flesh. It's so unlikely for you to be uncomfortable and to put yourself out for the, for the love of other people. It's so unlike people to do that, that when you do that well together, Christ is exalted. I, I've been told that we make too much of community here. I don't think so. It's not true. Can you overdo it? Absolutely you can. But it is an overflow and it is for the glory of Christ. And you cannot do that on your own. Separated, you know, you, you get what I'm saying, yeah? Paul's prayer for the Ephesians believers that they'd be strengthened by the Spirit, experiencing the love of Christ, to be redemptive community, sharing the love of Christ, and putting Jesus' attributes on display. Or Peter says it this way in chapter 2, verses 9 of his first epistle, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. So then, now we're where we need to go. Sorry about the long introduction, but it makes this part really powerful. Peter says, therefore, chapter 4, verse 1, in other words, based on this unlikely, miraculous, gracious union with God, and also this amazing, miraculous union with your unlikely siblings with whom you share the same Father, you should walk worthy. If we didn't have that context, then all of a sudden we hear walk worthy. What the heck does that mean? This is really important. Therefore, because of this miraculous union through, with God the Father, through the gospel of Christ, and the fact that you, because you have one Father, now you unlikely siblings are growing and you're actually able to get past yourself and stop being so dang selfish, and it's amazing that you can do that because of the love of Christ. Therefore, walk worthy. And the word worthy actually means equal weight. 
And so the Bible is saying is that Christians should walk in balance with their love for Christ on one hand and their love for believers on the other. You with me? Church, are you following me? You cannot love Christ if you don't love his church. I'm sorry, it doesn't work. It It doesn't happen. John says you can't say I love my brother and not love God. You can't do it. It's an impossibility. So what the Bible is saying is so true. We walk in balance. On one end of it, you've seen the guys going across the tightrope with these big long poles. It's keeping them in balance. On one end, you have love for Christ, and on the other end, your love for your brothers. And you need both. And so Paul continues, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy, a balance, of the calling to which you have been called. And here's the two balance points. Verse 2, with all humility and with all gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's one balance. And here's the other one. Verse 4, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul is saying you need to walk balanced And here's your two balancing points. The love you have for your siblings in Christ, and so be humble and gentle and patient, and then your love for God the Father who is over all and in all and through all. And to that end, to accomplish this life of balance, Paul says that Christ has gifted his church in ways that we might live out our in-Christness by serving one another and by growing past ourselves closer to one another. So you want to be walking in balance, and here's how you're going to get that. Christ has gifted His church in order to make that happen. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Verse 7. And these, these gifts which everyone has been enabled to possess, are used to the contribution of others. We talked about this a few, maybe months ago, when we went through 1 Corinthians 13. The Corinthians, member had gotten this upended. They had gotten it wrong, and they were using their gifts for their own selves. They were using their gifts on themselves, and Paul says, no, 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 no. You're out of balance. And so when this gift exchange happens... You use your gifts to bless me so that I might know Christ. I use my gifts to bless you so that you might know Christ. I do what I do on church, on Sunday's church, but you do what you do, and this, this right here isn't church. It's a part of it. I'm using my gifts. Church starts when we get up from here, and you guys start doing your stuff. When this gift exchange happens, the church grows. So if you've been around long enough, you've heard every member ministry. That's our goal. We regularly, as a leadership team, ask ourselves the question, church, we're not there yet, okay? If you, if you want to poke holes, you'll find them. I guarantee that. 
Okay, but this is the this is the lens. Are we making disciples of Jesus Christ, and how do we help the church do that together? Because it's not just our job; it's our job to equip the church to make disciples, not do it for them. But when this gift exchange happens, the church grows. When we use our gifts, the church grows. That doesn't necessarily mean numerically, although I think we'll see that happen. But regardless, does or doesn't, we grow more in love with Christ. We grow in our ability to reflect Jesus together. And so, specifically, Paul kind of fleshes out the beginnings of these gifts in verses 11 and 12. And he, meaning Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Everybody's giving, and it starts with Christ, which is why he's supreme. And so Christ gives, therefore he's the ultimate of giver. He, he did what none of us could do. He gave, that's what makes him supreme. Christ gave he is supreme. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers give. What do they do? They minister the word. You see? Christ gives. He, he gave everything. He's supreme. The apostles, the teachers, the evangelists, they give. The teachers, they give. What are they doing? They're ministering the word. And then there's the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. In other words, the church gives. You give. That's redemptive community. So right here in this passage, Christ is supreme. We have the ministry of the word and redemptive community. And that's what Paul's saying. That's where we're going. We are God's people. Focusing on the supremacy of Christ, knowing Him through His word, experiencing His love, gaining it and then giving it (coughs) in our relationships. That's redemptive community. The supremacy of Christ, the authority of His word, and giving it out. Redemptive community. And this threefold value system is all throughout Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and it's, it's for us to keep it before ourselves. Paul confirms this again earlier in the book in chapter 2. He says this, verse 19, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints, with the saints, and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. There's the word. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, the supremacy of Christ, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit, redemptive community. And what's our community about? It's about putting God's attributes on display. He's really good and amazing, and you ought to come and see. Welcome. So in the next two weeks, we're going to be talking about Okay, so what do we do in response to that? What's the elder's role in running the the teachers, the prophets, whatever, you know? What's their role in helping us run towards the supremacy of Christ, the authority of his word and redemptive community? What do the elders do? That's next week. We're going to be unpacking that a little bit. 
And then the following week is, well, how do we all do that together practically? What does that look like? And so we're going to get into some of those specifics over the next few weeks. How and why we come to church and engage in growth groups and what are our goals when we get together and all that. But today, I want to be reminded that we are a community of people seeking to exalt Jesus as supreme. We're guided and learning about Him and how to love and serve Him through His authoritative Word, and then we're applying this to our lives and our relationships with each other. That's really important to us. It is the base. We build on that. And so I put this little chart in your notes that we actually have keep before us regularly. Our core values, you see those on the left, and then how we express those values. How do we live those out? So we have the value of the supremacy of Christ and the way that gets expressed through us as a church is living out generous grace. If we're recipients of generous grace, we ought to be giving generous grace. Paul says the same thing. I've read this before, but essentially Paul says, I as a prisoner of the Lord urge you, and then he says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. What's he saying? You've been recipients of great grace. You ought to be givers of great grace. How we express the supremacy of Christ is by people that are filled with great grace. And we want to be a church, a group of people that are following Jesus that really holds forth grace. When people walk in here, we want to be about the supremacy of Christ and the authority of His Word, and we ought to welcome everybody regardless of their level of brokenness. Because as earlier, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, while you were God's enemies, He came for you. That's all of us, church. And God help us that when God's enemies walk into this building, that they would feel the welcome and the grace of His Spirit, that same grace and Spirit that welcomed and wooed us to Himself. That does not mean... We compromise on the supremacy of Christ nor the authority of His Word, but we live it out with grace. You with me? So good. In our second core value, the authority of the Word, how we live that out is absolute harmony in the absolutes. Keep the first things first. We've talked a lot about this, so I won't go into it. We've talked a lot about our concentric circles but focusing on the absolutes and giving each other grace and the things that get farther out and extended and not spending too much time in those externals, but focusing on the things that we know we know we know. And then the value of redemptive community gets expressed in intentionally making disciples. Church, I can tell you What a great group of brothers that uh, Jason's on vacation. Me, Bob, and Ian will be meeting again tomorrow night. And I will tell you this. If we have uh, five weaknesses, one of them is not being intentional. It's really, really important to us. Yes, brothers? 
how do we get from where we are to where people are actively participating in the gospel of Christ? Can we get past the way church normally gets done or just making sure that that's not a hindrance that we just got to do this whatever you know because that's the way it's always been done are we making disciples of christ and how are we making that happen and i will tell you i will tell you straight up front the men in this church are a really important target for us they are not because we don't like women but because we love women and we think the best place for that to happen is through their husbands if they have one And if we build a community of strong men that we believe they will protect married women and also the women who aren't married because they feel responsible. And I'm just telling you straight up front, this intentional part of making disciples, a big part of that is how do we infuse the gospel in the people's homes? And how do we develop a church of men that are on the lookout and helping and protecting and loving and serving? It's huge for us. God help us to continue to focus on these core values. So what does this mean for us? One, I always want to encourage you, when I give you these applications, they're just an aims to help. Some of you are already encouraged in your spirit because the word goes forth and then the spirit is our counselor and he's in our hearts whispering over our shoulder Hey, that's really important to you. You need to be paying attention to that one. I've had people come up to me and say, oh, that was so helpful to me. And they'll mention some obscure little thing. And I'm like, that wasn't even part of the... Didn't you get the other point? That's okay. It's because the Spirit is pressing in on them that that's really important for me. And so when I give these to you, Take them in and be encouraged by them or challenged by them and maybe work through them. But don't neglect also what the Spirit is doing in your life and reminding you and counseling you where you ought to be focused, okay? But here's a couple things you can be thinking of. One, we hear these core values and my hope is that you're encouraged to consider what we're doing when we come together as a community. Not just sitting and absorbing but you're coming to actively participate. You are a member of this redemptive community. And you're here to use your gifts in whatever capacity, at whatever level of maturity, baby or full-grown, to use your gifts, to grow in them, to help your brothers and sisters in Christ come to exalt Christ as supreme, and then to love His Word. That's our job. Not mine. That's all of ours together. And so I just want to encourage you that we make much of Jesus and learn the Word and help each other to do the same thing. That's all of our jobs. Second encouragement is let's keep the main one the main thing. Right? Let's not get stuck or hung up on stuff that doesn't matter. This is another message Paul gives Timothy regularly throughout the books. We've talked about this. We want to create Christ supreme. We want to be able to give each other grace. We want to focus on the Word without neglecting those things and pour forth grace upon one another and the people that God brings to us. Let's keep the main one, the main thing. 
And then here's another practical application. If you hear these core values, oh my gosh, your heart resonates with them. That's really true. Supremacy of Christ, authority of his word, redemptive community. Commit yourself or recommit yourself, church, to formally pursuing core values, these core values together with this group. Some of you are, we call it membership. I don't care what the term is, but if you are here and you're like, that's me, I'm in. I want to give that and I want to receive that. I don't want to be out here all by myself doing my own thing. I want to be accountable and I want to be held accountable and I want to hold other people accountable. That's what I want to do. Then you ought to consider formally committing yourself to pursuing our core values together. We call that membership. Simple. I can tell you a few weeks ago we were having a conversation. Somebody brought something up to the leadership team that we needed to consider. And because they said, I'm in, I'm committed, it's really important to us. But it was also really helpful to work that through knowing they said, I'm in, I'm not going anywhere. I'm full on committed to this body of church. I'm not going anywhere. I'm just telling you that commitment we verbalized, that's really helpful for us. And also this person is committed to this group, this group of people, and we want to hear what they have to say because they love this group of people. And they're committed to this group of people. That idea of being committed to one another and sign me up, I'm in, is really helpful on a practical, fundamental level. And so my encouragement is, if you're like, that's me, I'm in, then you can express that formally. And we're thankful for that. Father, thank you for your word as we hear it from this book of Ephesians through your servant Paul captured as the Spirit carried him along and he wrote down these things for our teaching and our instruction and then supernaturally preserved throughout the eons so that we could be here today actually hearing your words with confidence. May we bend ourselves to your truth and be willfully and joyfully submissive to these truths that you've brought to us. That we would be encouraged once again to hold Christ as supreme, to be so thankful and be recipients of the authority of your word and bend ourselves to it with joy. And that we would love being part of your community by which you are glorified and where you are made much of. And where we put your attributes on display for one another, but also for the community and the world around us. Because you do want us to reach Brown County for the gospel of Christ, and we want to do that with you. So thankful, Lord, for your word today. Just encouraged in my spirit. Pray that that's true for all of us. May these core values continue to run themselves deep into our hearts and produce much fruit right here in this little church for your glory and for the kingdom of Christ to be established. Pray these things in the name of our King Jesus, our Savior, our Rescuer, our brother and friend. Amen.